Welcome to the Maggie Williams Podcast, where we discuss hunting, travel, and outdoor adventures. This episode is brought to you by Harry Blackwell Chevrolet in Malden, Missouri, your source for all things automotive, and presented by Kent Cartridge. Quality matters, performance counts. What's going on, y'all? And welcome to another episode of the Maggie Williams Podcast. Thank you so much for putting us at number three on the wilderness charts. Y'all far exceeded my wildest expectations, so thank you so much. And today, I have got a spectacular guest on here with me. Some may call him the King of Crabs, but he is, ladies and gentlemen, none other than Mr. Luke McFadden. How you guys doing? Hey, Luke, thank you so much for joining me here today. No problem. Thanks for having me. So where are you live from right now, Luke? I am in Pasadena, Maryland. I'm live from Northeast Arkansas right now. Guys, this is the first conversation that I've ever had with Luke. So love to just jump in right away. Luke, what does your day-to-day life look like as a crabber, as a commercial crabber? Well, it uh, it definitely starts early. Uh, get up around 4.15. Uh, we meet at the boat around like 4.45, 5 o'clock. Load the boat with bait and fuel and all that. And me and my crew go out and we fish 500 crab pots a day and come back in with the catch, load it in the truck. I go put it into a big refrigerated trailer uh, and then I go get bait and fuel for the next day. And then I come back and I put together all the orders for crabs that I have. And then I go meet people and sell crabs. And then usually get home between 7 and 9 o'clock and go to bed and get up and do it again. Uh, Like Fridays, I crab in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I take the trailer up to a lot that I own in town. And I set up like a roadside stand. And then I'm there all weekend from Friday night, Saturday and Sunday selling uh selling all my crabs at a roadside stand so very cool so i want to stop you right there you said 500 yeah yep so i've been crabbing and i'm not talking commercial crabbing i was doing some recreational crabbing in the gulf of mexico 500 is an astronomical amount and to run in one day is that common for where you're from as a commercial crabber Sort of. I mean, not not everybody that's crabbing is fishing 500 a day, but, you know, all the uh, like kind of bigger operations. And I, I certainly don't have the biggest operation by any means at all. But, you know, in terms of gear overboard, you know, I have quite a bit. I have a thousand pots over uh, wow. overboard all the time. And so we fish. We alternate days so that the pots can sit for a little longer to catch more crabs. So. Uh, most of the big boats and big operations are fishing four or five hundred a day, wow. typically. But it, I mean, it's a lot of work. It takes uh, me and I hire three other crew members, and uh, you know, from the time we get going to the time we stop, we're we're steady moving. There's no time for breaks or lunch or whatever. You gotta, you just, I mean, it's hot out there. You know what I mean? The, <laughs> right. the faster we get it done, I, I tell them, I say this, it ain't hourly work. It's piece work. So. Right. You know, the faster we get it done, the sooner we get to go home. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. So what what is the crab season in Maryland? So it runs from April 1st to, I think, December 22nd. Uh, I don't typically crab that late. Uh, usually I, I end, end crabbing around like uh, the first week or second week of November. Wow. I try to. The thing is that sometimes there's crabs that late, but the market falls off. Right. So there's not a lot of people buying crabs when it's like really cold out. I think people just kind of think of it as a as more of a warm weather food, you know? Absolutely. I, and I agree with that. I can't tell you how many times I've ordered crabs in the wintertime because I haven't. So Yeah, that, right. Exactly. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But Yeah. I've been, no doubt. I've been dying to ask you. So I 
first of all, I'm a huge fan of your TikTok. A lot of people that I'm in close vicinity with are as well. When I told my dad that you were going to be my guest, he was so pumped. He said, Luke is so (laughs) entertaining and fascinating. So it's awesome to have you on. But it seems like every video that I watch of you, you are operating on a vessel of questionable integrity. Can we talk about that for a second? No, that's a very good observation. (laughs) You got to use what you got. You know what I mean? And I, uh, you know, I'm I'm building a business here. So sometimes that means you don't have the best equipment in the world, but you got to make it work. You know what I mean? And I think the part of uh, running a business and starting it from kind of the ground up is, uh, you know, some creative solutions and problem solving. It's like every day there's some new sort of uh, something, some new kind of fresh disaster or (laughs) something that's breaking that I need to fix for to go to work that day or something like that. Did I see you jump in after a neighbor's boat the other day? Yeah, that was a funny story. The uh, the neighbor, a few houses up, I know his neighbor. Not, I don't. I've never even met the guy whose boat it was, but that his neighbor, who I know, who's a good dude, was like, "My neighbor's boat sank. Would you mind helping me get it up off the bottom?" And I was like, "Man, I've been there before. Like, I've sunk a few boats, so you can probably I mean, not hard to guess with the." level and quality of (laughs) vessels that I'm operating. So, man, I've been there before. I get it. Yeah, I'll help you. So, and you know, that's just, that's right up my alley. That's my kind of, that's my kind of project. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) count me in. Just straight grimy. Yeah, exactly. So I went over there and uh, I brought one of my boats over and uh, we got it up off the bottom and pumped it out. And uh, I was like, man, you know, this boat isn't so bad. All the neighbors are like, man, this thing's junk, you know, whatever. And I'm thinking like, man, this I see potential in this boat, which is one of my <laughs> red flags. But I see a sunk boat and I think, man, that, that thing's pretty nice. She's a fixer-upper, right? Exactly. I was like, man, she's good as used right there. Yeah, we got it up, pumped it out, and uh, we took it over to the boat ramp and pulled the motor apart. And I we even got it running. And I was like, man, this thing ain't so bad. I said, Randy, man, tell the neighbor, you know, if he wants to get rid of this thing, you know, let me know. I, I like it. Like, it's pretty nice. <laughs> so he called me like 15 minutes later. He's like, man, he said that he he would love if you took that thing. He said he wasn't sure what he was going to do with it. I said, man, that's awesome. Everybody's looking at me like, you dummy. You just don't learn. <laughs> so you have. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you have this infamous saying, you ain't no crabber. Well, yeah. So you. That could apply very well, and you ain't no duck hunter. We have, (laughs) ourselves, we have definitely pulled some boats off the bottom that have sank, and anyway, that's a whole day project, and I I know, except ours wasn't in the ocean, ours is in a tiny river, skinny water, and that's still a pain, so I can't imagine doing it in salt water at that, but, so you, you would make out to be a great duck hunter, it sounds like, you've got all the promising qualities. Oh, I do plenty of duck hunting here as well. And yeah, you uh, definitely crabbing and duck hunting. It's uh, a close world here, at least. Okay. And a lot of the crabbers, like every a lot of the watermen and crabbers, you know, it's kind of like the uh, the off-season, um, I don't know, meetings of the minds usually all happen in duck blinds, you know? Absolutely. So, so you are a big duck hunter. Yeah, I, I hunt pretty much whatever. Um, but I grew up duck hunting around here because... You know, where I live, I live just like south of Baltimore City and just north of Annapolis. So it's like, it's kind of suburban, you know, just in our backyards. Right. We have that, you know. So I grew up like hunting uh, ducks, a lot of diver ducks and sea ducks. Very cool. I know you can hunt a lot of puddle ducks. Absolutely. I, I imagine there, right? Yeah. So we, I mean, we see some puddle ducks here and there, but like if we shoot a teal or like see a wood duck or a gadwall or something, it's like or pintail or a, a spoonbill, like we're like freaking out. Like we never see that kind of stuff, you know, like I'm sure it's, that's everyday stuff for you guys. But Absolutely. I mean, I remember a while ago, we shot a, a pair of spoonbills. We were like, man, these are the coolest things ever. And everybody like from down there on online's like, you guys are losers. Like, <laughs> Put their nose up. Kind of I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to get a mountain. It's awesome. I've never seen a duck like this before. <laughs> so I've got a cousin. He's a rice farmer here in North Arkansas. And he is a spoonie purist. So around here, you've got the mallard purist. I mean, these are the uppity folks. This is what I would love to aspire to be one day. You know, a, a limit of mallards is prime. That's exactly what you want every time around here. 
And my cousin loves nothing more than a spoonie shoot. So you guys would get along really well. I mean, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, <laughs> my thing, hey, what I say, because there's different levels of duck hunters, right? You know that. Where it's Absolutely. like, you got the guys that are so hardcore, not talking about spots. It's always like, you know, whatever. And hey, all the respect in the world. We got, you know, that's right. totally cool for me. I mean, I, I have that whole competition thing going all crab season, you know, with all the button heads and this and that, and, you know, whatever, all crab season. So when hunt, when crab season gets over and hunting season comes around, I don't want nothing to do with any of that. I just want to go out and I say, hey, I didn't buy this gun to not shoot it as many times as I possibly can. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If like the you ever heard of a buffle head? Oh, you know yeah. what that is? Oh yeah. The little black and white. I don't, uh, you guys get diver ducks down there? I've seen a few buffle heads. Um, they're not even common in this flyway at all. I've seen very few in my life, so they're uncommon around here. Yeah, I know they they get them in a lot of like freshwater rivers and stuff like that, like you know inland and everything. But you know we see them all the time here. There's tons of them, and man. If I see one, I'm pulling the trigger, man. I, I ain't scared. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm shooting a, I'll shoot a buffalo head or six, you know, I ain't worried about it. <laughs> that, that's a, a very refreshing take because where I'm from, I'm from North Arkansas, obviously. We call duck season the season of hate. Literally, yeah. we are up every morning. We're at the ramp by 3 a.m. You can put your boat in at four. Mm-hmm. And it's a boat race every day to get to your spot. And yeah. we race through the woods, through the timber, and it's it's a very serious circumstances that you were talking about. It's like that every day for sixty days. Everyone wakes up just mad at the world, trying to kill dogs. So yeah, that's awesome that you're just trying to have fun. I definitely respect that. I mean, listen, I I like like I like going and doing that kind of stuff too. I got some buddies that are really hardcore into it, and we'll get up and I'll go with them a few times a year. You know, like you're driving somewhere to go you know canvasbacks is the big duck here your canvasbacks are the ducks that like made their the most iconic duck to the chesapeake bay you know all the market gunners and everything but they're like they call them the king around here and so uh funny. you know it's that's the duck everybody wants to shoot a canvasback and like uh, a golden eye right you know that kind of stuff because we're, we're you know we get divers we hunt divers mostly so absolutely you know everybody's trying to get on a good canvas back shoot and everything and you know it's real re- that that whole world super competitive and it is fun every once in a while but like i said i used to be a lot more kind of hardcore into that as kind of my crabbing has gotten more serious and more competitive and i've kind of oh man i'm not i'm not even worried about that anymore i'm just happy to go go enjoy time in the outdoors that isn't just like pressing i'll leave that to everybody else that's fine with me i'm, I'm just happy to be out there you know what i mean have you ever been on a good mallard shoot have you ever shot a mallard uh yeah oh yeah we shoot creek mallards and stuff here but i've never been on like a real mallard shoot you know we shoot them here sometimes because they just, they're mostly all residents here you know they just they swim around the piers and right local ducks whatever you know and, right. and we shoot a few but never like what you guys do i see what you guys do and, you know, you're hunting timber, which I've mm. always wanted to do. That just looks awesome. Come on down. Um, I'm yeah, serious. I, I I, I'm not bulk. I'm not. A lot of people will say, come on down. They don't mean it. I mean it. Seriously. Really? Yeah. Bring That'd your old, great. Bring your old lady. Does she hunt? Uh, uh, yeah, some. She does some. I've had her out a few times in the past past couple of years. Y'all come on to Arkansas yeah. and I'll show y'all what a real flooded timber mallard tree looks like. Seriously. Yeah, that's. That that would be awesome. I've all I've seen I've only ever seen the videos. You know, I grew up watching uh Duck Commander, you know, like before the Duck Dynasty deal and whatever. Yeah. I, the I DVDs from Commander Walmart. On, what'd you say? The DVDs from Walmart. Yes, yes, the DVDs. I used to I used to like save money and everything to go buy that you know, stuff on DVD. Like that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> I had all the Duck Commander DVDs and that's my thought of like that's my idea of like Arkansas duck hunting. Right. But it could be kind of how like like people think of crabbing that I tell them I'm a crabber and they think of deadliest catch. So I don't know if it's like, is that really what it's like? I mean, is that really what you guys are doing? So I think a lot of duck commander, it's been years and years since I've watched one of the DVDs, but they're all in Louisiana. It's similar, but not the same. Arkansas, true cypress and Tupelo swamps, just beautiful open timber holes. I mean, we got some buck brush holes and everything else, but my favorite thing in the world about Arkansas is you can get in a beautiful, just cypress, Tupelo hole, 
and have hundreds of mallards just put it on the brakes and backpedal in slow motion and just float into the decoys. And that, that is correct. That's Arkansas. That, that's the great thing about Arkansas. Yeah. Man, that that is that's awesome. Like the kind of the equivalent here is like, you know, we we hunt some offshore blinds and we hunt a lot of boats, layout boats and stuff like that for divers and sea ducks. Kind of our equivalent is like, you know, seeing a flock of like uh either blackheads or uh canvas backs or something like that you know they come in in this big cloud and they're kind of moving around and then they'll circle and then they kind of dump right you know they kind of dump in and it's like man it's the coolest thing it's like our equivalent of i guess yeah i'm sure that timber sounds awesome that that really must be something to see it's Uh, like disney world every time yeah that is amazing never gets old yeah i bet not if you're getting up 60 days in a row at three o'clock in the morning to go hunt ducks i mean that's that's gotta be awesome. I've never made it to all sixty. In in twenty twenty I committed to doing all sixty and I actually I got COVID and so for four days I was so sick I was not able to hunt. But I made it to fifty six. So Ain't no duck hunter. Ain't I, no duck hunter. <laughs> well this year I'll do sixty and you'll have to join me on a few of them. That's right. <laughs> you will actually be a duck hunter then, huh? Yes, I will finally be a duck hunter. So <laughs> I, I have to ask you this. I texted you last night briefing you about this podcast and you said something about listening to the last podcast of me and Macy and you mentioned bringing a fish to school. You have also <laughs> brought a fish to school? Yes. And I'm so glad that you remember that because I texted you. I was like, listen, remind me because I, I won't remember. <laughs> so yeah, I, um, yeah, this, this story has never, uh, it's never been, po- I've never uh, talked about it before. Just it- <laughs> I was always pulling these like elaborate pranks. And if anybody from Chesapeake High School is like listening, you got no proof. But <laughs> I brought a bunch of live goldfish to school and I filled all of the sinks in the art department with live goldfish. You're kidding. And like, and then just dipped out and like nobody knew who or why or what. But I did recon. I knew when the art teachers like had their lunch break and I knew when they weren't going to be in the room with all this, you know, all those stainless sinks and everything. Yeah. I had like found um, these little paint bowls, little acrylic paint bowls. And I was like, found ones that were in the art department that you could flip upside down, fit perfectly over the drains. Um, So filled all the sinks full of goldfish (laughs) and then left. And then it was like this whole, and I got away, like, and I don't think anybody, the only people that knew were the people that I, you know, that I did it were the people that I told. Yeah, I pulled it off. And they, uh, it was like this whole thing where people were like, who the heck, first of all, why? And then like, how? And then like, what are you supposed to do with all these fish? You know, so. That is one of the, I am a practical jokes for myself. That's one of the best pranks, most elaborate and well thought out pranks. I applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, if you ever were in uh, class of 2014, Chesapeake High School in Pasadena, Maryland, you were wondering why there was goldfish in the art department sinks. It was Luke. It was me. Yeah. My other one, I, I took a bunch of eggs and, and uh, got JB Weld, like two-part epoxy. Yeah. And glued eggs in the corners of like all these classrooms to the tile and stuff. That's evil. So then, yeah, I know that was that was a little mean. That was a little, mean. <laughs> no, that was, a little that was like towards my end, the end of my high school career. Where I was like, yeah, I'm out of this place. Like, you know, <laughs> you got egged. Yeah, pretty much. Chesapeake High School, I guess in Maryland in general, did y'all have the cliques of the redneck kids or up north? Is that not a thing? Oh yeah, no, it's a thing. Yeah, you got the uh, were you, you one know, of truck them? driving rednecks for sure. Were you one of them? Or, or were no. you just no? You weren't. So you were just one of the potential crabbers, practical jokesters. Well, the thing was like nobody from my high school is a crabber. Like I, there's not many crabbers around. They ain't no crabber. It's <laughs> exactly. But I, I don't know. I kind of always just did my own thing in high school. I was. The funny thing is, I was way more of a redneck than any of the kids that dress like rednecks. Right. I just, like, I don't know. I think just by the nature of who I am, I just did redneck stuff. See, but I just was, I don't know. I'm all, I was just kind of did my own thing. You were <laughs> you know? a lone ranger. I guess so, yeah. So my high <laughs> That's putting it very elegantly. My high school had a lone ranger as well. One day, Danny came to school in the 10th grade. I'll never forget he had a huge tattoo on his calf. This tattoo 
Do you remember Kim Possible, the cartoon? Yes, yes. He had a naked Kim Possible on his calf. What? And we're all 16. And we're like, man, we're... Where'd you get this tattoo? First of all, why? And my ag teacher was like, man, you can't have a naked Kim Possible on your leg in the middle of school. So we'd take these Expo markers. And our ag teacher, he only had three colors. We had red, blue, and black. So we'd take these markers every day, and we'd draw a new outfit on his tattoo <laughs> to maintain That's her awesome. modesty. Because we couldn't have a naked Kim Possible out at school, so... That is awesome. He, That's hilarious. He was the Lone Ranger as well. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think I was quite on his level, but uh, maybe, maybe, I, I never had that, but I, I gotta say. I do have a funny uh, tattoo in school story, though. Did you get um, a tattoo in school? I didn't. Oh. Well, I'm, I am, I tried. Well, I'm dumb. We'll just start it with that. But I, you know, in high school, I worked crew on a crab boat, and... I'll tell you a little something about the people that typically work crew on crab boats. There's usually, you know, crab and seasonal work and it's hard work and it's outside. And there's usually a reason that these people don't already have a job, if you know what I'm saying. That's like, right. You, don't, you get a rough crowd sometimes That's, working on these crab boats. Right. It's like a rice field in North Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. You got to have a, we say a strong back and a weak mind is the best, best. Uh, I love that know. analogy. Hey, anyway, that's the backbone of America. That's right. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's the real working class, you know, <laughs> that's what keeps America moving. <laughs> well, I worked crew on a guy's boat and one of his, his like firsthand, um, has spent a lot of time in prison and he was covered in head to toe with super classy, very well done uh tattoos he got in prison oh wow and so i was like man so how do you get a tattoo in prison like you make a tattoo gun i'm like how the heck do you do that he's like well you get a toothbrush and you heat it up with a lighter and you bend it at an angle and then you get a mechanical pencil and a guitar string and an electric motor out of a dvd player and an eraser off a pencil and yada yada and kids don't try this yeah exactly <laughs> And I was like, man, that's kind of cool. So I went home and built one. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Had this little tattoo gun. Terrible, a terrible idea. Brought it to school and my, uh, like, show my buddy. And now I know. I'm like, I could probably should have gotten a lot of trouble for that. But anyway, we were, like, on the bus and I'm showing him this thing. He's like, dude, you should give me a tattoo. I was like, all right. Like, Say less. <laughs> went probably as well as you could imagine it went. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I... I had it, and I then my, like an idiot. I tried to give myself a tattoo, like on my leg, and I wrote my name, but wrote it upside down because I was doing it myself. Don't I'm telling you, I'm. If you ever fall unconscious, everyone's going to know. Hey, this is Luke, y'all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, Just in case I'd forgotten my name, I don't know. It was. That's hilarious, but that I have to ask you about. Maker. A troublemaker. Well, that explains the axe on your living room table. Guys. That was a gift, all right? <laughs> I am texting Luke yesterday, like I said, briefing about this podcast. And I asked him about the bear that he shot. And I'm just fascinated by this bear. And he sends me a picture of this huge bear mouth in his living room. And in the photograph that he texted me, you can see his living room table. You can see the plate that he ate supper on, and right next to the plate he ate supper on is an axe just on his living room table. He's eating supper with an axe. So let's let's explain hey, the axe. If you don't cut your steak with an axe, you ain't no crabber. You, know <laughs> you ain't no crabber. So right. I got to ask you about this bear. Tell me the bear story. The bear story is actually kind of a cool story. So I... Uh, had sort of a dry spell deer hunt for a while. So, but we got like a hunting lease up in like Northwest Pennsylvania, me and my dad and my brother and um, a lot of my relatives, they all, you know, like my biological father, they live up in Northeast Pennsylvania. So we got a big hunting lease up there. We go up there and deer hunt and whatever for a few weeks every year. And, um, you know, like I said, I'd had a dry spell. I'd been up there hunting. We'd been hunting like for a week and a half or something. Like I'd gone all week, like barely seen anything. And then I think it was like the, I think it was like the last day I was hunting or something. I, uh, I shot an eight point, a real nice eight point buck, like in the late morning. There you go. And then, 
Yeah. And then after, uh, after that, I had gotten out of the stand, take care of the deer. And my dad was in another stand, like at the end of this logging road. So I, you know, told him, I was like, listen, you know, I'll walk to you and, you know, see if I can push anything or whatever. Like, you know, it's Pennsylvania rifle deer hunting. It's, it ain't like super classy, you know. Let me start a deer drive real quick, dad. That's, that's what he was letting him know. Hey, it's Pennsylvania. That's how they do it up here. That's how they like the park. You know what I mean? So I'm walking and I'm always looking down because I'm always like, I, I, I've i never found an arrowhead. I've always wanted to find an arrowhead. So I'm always looking down in these on these logging roads, creek bottoms, whatever. I was, I was walking, looking down and I heard something and I looked up and there was a bear. And I'd never seen a bear like in real life before. Right. Like, you, like yeah, I mean, like you don't see them. That's terrifying very often yeah i was like it looked like a barrel like a just a big black barrel like walking through the woods they're not the most graceful things going through the woods but i was like i couldn't believe it like i looked at the bear the bear looked at me i looked at the bear i had my gun on my strap you know i got it off and you know i i got it but it was uh totally like a one in a million kind of thing like they had had like a special opening in bear season in that region and i had bought a bear tag that year it was like 20 bucks and you know i i get the tag usually it goes you know money goes to the conservation whatever anyway so it's like i don't mind buying the right. whatever it is you know so i had gotten one just by chance and just happened to see the right bear in the right time and they're on the right day That's- like it was unreal how, how far was it like 15 yards away Fif- it was 15 we, we walked into each other i was walking on a logging road on the side of this hill and i, I think the bear was just as surprised as i was <laughs> I making was like, eye contact with this bear yeah i was like is that a bear and the bear was like is that the crab guy from tiktok <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> imagine his surprise <laughs> right <laughs> that's what i'm saying imagine my surprise so, so yeah, and I tell you what, if you've never uh, been, you know, shot a bear for anybody's listening, I've never had to move something that seemed like it was so glued to the forest floor as a deceased bear. That thing, I can't imagine, I, like impossible to move. I don't know how. And this was like this bear, I think, was two hundred eighteen pounds. Wow. So it's you know not a giant, big a, bear, but not a giant, bigger than the average woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Weighs more than me. So. Right. I always say hey, I'm hard pressed to go up against anything that's bigger than the average woman. You know, that's what I'm saying. That scares me a little bit. But I, I'm with you. I, I had I'm my with you. I had my first bear encounter as well. It was this past turkey season. I was mm-hmm. in Washington State, and I'd been hunting on public land for four days in a row with some of my buddies and. I actually, I got in North Arkansas with a guy named Winston when he's a good friend of mine. And and then we're sitting down and I'm yelping and I just yelped up a bear. We're sitting there and and it's not a black bear. It's a grizzly bear. We're, we're <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, and it's also apparently the most aggressive season for grizzly bears in Washington at this point. We found out later, but we're, we got uh-huh. our backs to a tree and he says, mate, stop calling. And I was like, oh, you know, you hear turkey? I don't hear what's going on. And they said, no, stop calling. Stop calling. And I was just, I'm in turkey mode. I, I'm yeah. not even considering there's a bear around. And right. He says, and he, he can see down the hill at the angle. Come here. And so I, I crawl on my knees just over his side of the tree. And there is a grizzly bear at 100 yards. Oh, man. And it's, it's downhill from us. We're on the mountain. And this grizzly bear is just hanging out, and there's there's some cows in the pasture just right outside of the block of woods we're on, and we can see that bear is eyeing the cows, and I'm like, better them than me, but yeah, right. it was it was scary. I, I I was shaking in my boots just to know. I, I would be. Grizzly bears are wild. Uh, have you heard the um? I read Steve uh, a book by Steve Ranella, and he has a story in there where he. I guess was turkey hunting and called in a black bear. Oh and gosh. He said something about like he was like, Yeah, it's really a weird thing thinking that I'm trying to call a turkey so I can eat the turkey. And the bear heard me calling a turkey and thought he was gonna also eat the same turkey. <laughs> That's what's crazy. And I've had that happen with coyotes before. And yeah. To call up a coyote running up at, at us thinking we're a wild turkey. That's turkey. that's flattering. You know, wow, thanks. Yeah. But then it's you, scary. Do you, you just shoot the coyote? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah, just because, yeah. first of all, it's like the poles. And number two, just having a coyote run at you is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. They're not that big, but like they're mean. Right. Bring, like, we got to bring back uh, predator hunting and predator trapping. You know, I think that's really a fascinating world to me. Is read a lot about it. It's like pretty neat. It's, you know, it's so neat. And I'm a very, very passionate turkey hunter. And I, I like to say I'm always on the side of the wild turkey. I'm, mm-hmm. I love the NWTF. I love what they do. And turkeys in Arkansas were almost extinct at one point. So they've done a lot of work bringing them back. And that's been awesome. So I'm all for any effort to mm-hmm. continue the growth of our turkey population. If that means trap as much as we can, trapping initiatives and I've, I'm very new to the aspect of trapping. I've got some friends that do it. I went to school with some boys that did it. Yeah, I think it's definitely just a cool industry, kind of a lost art. But yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's very similar to like, you know, the way I see crab fishing. Historically, people think that fishermen just want to take and take and take until there's nothing left and for profit. But I mean, it's not like that anymore. You know, I, it, it probably was at one time in like the industrial age. There's nobody more invested in the future of these animals than me, you know, than, I mean, not me in particular, but I mean, fishermen, you know, we literally depend on there being crabs here next year. We are invested. We're the ones that get directly affected if they go away. So part of something I'm trying to kind of use my social media stuff to kind of change people's perspective. I'm not trying to convert anybody, but, you know, just show people that like, you know, that's not. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, that's not how fishermen, commercial fishermen are. I'm sure you had the same thing with turkey hunting them. I had people comment on my Instagram pictures. It's so cruel of you to kill those ducks. How would you like it if we shot you like you shoot those ducks? And people don't understand it's the same way with turkeys and ducks both. No one loves the duck more than the duck hunter. No no one loves the turkeys more than the turkey hunter. No group does more conservation for ducks than duck hunters. You got to buy your federal duck stamp. You got to buy your state duck stamp, your hunting license. All of that goes back to the wetlands and creating more habitat for these ducks and more opportunity for their population to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the same thing with, uh, you know, commercial fishing. I just went and uh, I had to go up to the state today and pay an astronomical amount of money to hold my commercial fishing license. And, you know, that's the money that goes into conservation efforts for the natural resource. Absolutely. Um, I've seen some pictures on your Instagram of you bow hunting. Are you, are you a big bow hunter? So I I was really into bow hunting, and then I kind of fell out of it for a long time. And like last year, I just got a new bow. Um, so I'm trying to get back into it. Cool. The Kind of the, the problem is that I'm so slammed with crabbing that I don't get a ton of time to practice when I need to you know like now people are already starting to shoot their bows again some people shoot them all year round um you know all that and I'm still crabbing during the rut you know what I mean which is like which is why I was never really super pushed to get back into it but then last year um you know a sponsor had actually given me a a, a new Matthews bow and I was like man this is awesome so I'm you know I'm I'm trying to get back into it i've been trying to shoot my bow as much as i can and you know shoot a deer with a, with my bow I've... so i was on the archery team in high school but i was not a bow hunter i tried very very hard to teach myself how to bow hunt because my dad was a huge public land duck hunter that's my grandpa was a huge public land duck hunter so a generational thing that developed my love for duck hunting it was something that they've shared throughout the years with me around here Bow hunting is not just a huge recreation. I committed to trying to learn to teach myself to bow hunt. I, there is such a difficult learning curve when you're teaching yourself to bow hunt that nobody yeah. talks about. A 16-year-old girl with no upper body strength, so I wasn't pulling back very much poundage, and I'll never forget. Also, I didn't have a rangefinder. My dad didn't mm-hmm. golf, and he wasn't a deer hunter, so we didn't have one around the house. So right. I walked it off. And I figured out how far everything was. And I put out little markers. Obviously, I didn't do it correctly because I'm pulled back on this doe. She watches my arrow stop short and just stick in the dirt. Probably 15 <laughs> yards in front of her. She looked at me and ran off. And kids definitely get a rangefinder. I have no death perceptions. I was thinking, man, she's she cannot be farther than 45. No, she was definitely probably 
85 babies. I am terrible at that too, though. I have terrible depth perception as well. I And I had a similar situation happen. Actually, I was flintlock hunting for deer, you know, with a Kentucky freaking long rifle kind of thing. Like, right. I think they're cool. You know, right. and my dad like light, light is into them. He used to take me when I was a kid flintlock hunting. And it's, it's yeah. So flintlock, flintlock season in Pennsylvania is like basically a cruel joke. I think they just choose the most miserable, rainy, snowy, cold three weeks. And they say, hey, suckers, if you you can use your buck tag to go shoot a doe with your flintlock. And so all these dummies like me go trudging out into the woods like Lewis and Clark with our long rifles. And, <laughs> Our little cow heels over our pieces of little flint. Oh, God. Walking around the woods trying to, you know, sh- shoot at these deer. And this one time it was like zero degrees outside. Same thing. I had this deer walk up, pull the hammer back, and I clicked it and it, it went hit. It struck and it went thump, and it blew the powder in the pan and it never went, the charge never went off. And the deer's just kind of looking at me. So I'm like, oh, geez. So I like put more powder in it. Two more times. Two, two, two more three times. times total. Three times total. It never went off. It just wasn't meant to be. So, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't it wasn't supposed to happen. And then like a, two years ago, I was flintlock hunting with my brother. And uh, this big buck came by. And like to see a big buck in flintlock season, because that's after all the pressure of rifle. And they've been hunting archery since it's a rare bird to see at that time. Same thing. I had a shot and the, the, the powder in the, in the prison went off and charge never went off. And I was like, man, this just hurts at this point. I was like, flintlock season is a mess. Oh my God. There's a reason these things are wall hangers. I was like, I think I'm gonna leave a thing on the wall next year. It's better to look at than go hunting with. I've, I've only had one experience ever of my gun clicking, but it was on Turkey this year. I was in South Florida hunting Osceola's you know, it's my first time really in the sand turkey hunting. And I, I've gotten a nursery driven shotgun and it's my first year with that shotgun. And it just never really clicked to me. Uh, no pun intended. It never right. <laughs> it never I just I didn't put it together that don't get sand in that chamber. Just because right. around here we get those nursery driven shotguns because they'll go off no matter what. You can use it as a boat paddle and it's still gonna shoot. So I right. I thought nothing of it and we get underneath this turkey, and sure, I mean, he is fired up, just mad at the world. I mean, just gobbling, hammering. About to make a mistake. Yeah, yeah, about to make a mistake. And so every yelp, he gobbles. We'll cut at him. He'll gobble. I mean, unreal turkey hunt. And so he comes in on a freaking string. Just yelp, gobble, yelp, gobble. And so all this anticipation is just building up, building up, building up. And I'm so excited. I mean, I'm just shaking in my boots ready to kill this turkey. And I put my beat on his head. And my gun clicks. Oh, no. And these shotguns, when they click, I mean, it's an audible noise. It's not a secret. Right. Right. And so we're just yelping, 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 trying to distract him. Like, oh, Uh gosh, please. And so I, I shuck that shell. And... All right, I collect myself, and he's honestly, this turkey is so fired up that he, that really didn't even bother him. Mm-hmm. And he was a little questionable, and he was like, uh, but he, he was still fired up, still gobbling. So I was like, okay, he gobbled again, we'll, we'll kill him. So I, I put my meat on his head. When I tell you that gun clicked again, <laughs> and I'm about to panic. And I, we had it on video, and I swear... I thought I was just saying, help me. What do I do? Because I've got one of my really good buddies there. Because he, he had a gun with him. And I was about to say, hand me your gun. I did not know what to do. And, and I, we, we played the video back and I didn't say a word. Nothing came out of my mouth. So You were just thinking, you were thinking it loud enough that you, <laughs> you was, could hear it. <laughs> I thought words were coming out of my mouth and I wasn't even saying anything. But I'm, I, I'm simultaneously, while I think I'm saying that, I, I shook that shell. This is my, the last shell in my gun. Anyway, mm-hmm. and I put it on the turkey, and he dies that time. So thank goodness. But having a gun click multiple times—that is the scariest moment of my life. Yeah, it's like a roller yeah. coaster of emotions. Uh huh. No, I hear you. And if that was an eastern it's turkey, it's like so much. It, it's crazy because all of hunting boils down to a half a second. 
you know what I mean? Like that one half a second, doesn't matter how many years you've been hunting, how much equipment, anything, all of hunting comes down to that half a second it takes to pull the trigger or let an arrow fly or whatever, like everything. And then like when you get to that and then something like that happens, you're just like, you're kidding me. Yeah, you find out what you're made of very quickly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Very quickly. So you duck hunt, you deer hunt, you're the occasional bear killer. When the opportunity <laughs> arises. <laughs> yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll rise to the occasion if you come face to face with right, a bear. That's right, that's uh-huh. So do you have any other hunting passions in the outdoors? Do you, I saw that you fish, obviously, not just crabbing, but do you trout fish? If it swims, I'll figure out a way to catch it. I've always been like that. I mean, when my mom's friend had a uh, goldfish pond in their yard, and I used to keep little hook and a little thing of string in my wallet when I was a kid. Cause any, any body of water, I was going to try to catch a fish, anything that was in there, I was trying to catch it. And I got, I did get in trouble one time for trying to catch her goldfish, <laughs> not trying. I caught her goldfish out of the pond and it went about like a fart church. You know what I mean? Right. Well, she knew you, she knew you take it to school was the problem. <laughs> yeah. Different, different goldfish, but yeah, no, you're right. It was, uh, yeah, it got them on my mind. But if I had more time in the summer, I'd get off the crab boat and go, you know, fish for striped bass or anything. I don't, you know, I don't care what it is. I'll fly fish for them. I'll, you know, rod and reel fish. I'll do, you know, I love to fish anywhere there's water. I have, you know, those telescoping fishing rods. The collapsible ones. Yeah. 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 I take those everywhere I've ever been. I take them with me. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I always got a fishing rod. I'm always a sound like Macy Watkins. I have never, (laughs) I have not caught that girl without a fishing rod yet. Really? <laughs> Never. I know, it's I, funny. I got one in the truck. I got one in every one of my trucks. I got one in the boat. I got well, a couple in the house. You get, you know, yeah. you never know when you need a fishing rod. There's always fish to be caught somewhere. I'm, and I'm going to be the guy to catch one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Macy takes one to church with her. I, I'm not kidding. I mean, <laughs> so you guys you never know. get along very well. But so you, you're always ready just to, to throw a line. What about you? Do you fish? So, yes. I feel like in North Arkansas, though, everyone fishes but it's very casual recreational backyard fisherman i mean mm-hmm. may, some may tell me you ain't no fisherman i mean yeah, I hear you. I'll, I'll catch crappie i'll catch bass i like to run trot lines but I, i'm not just a professional fisherman by any means but my favorite thing to do is facetime macy whenever i go shopping for lures so she'll tell me everything i need to get let me know i'll fish the river out here that we duck hunt on and i'll hop a few ponds here and there with my cousin if i'm ever helping him in the rice fields but that's about Mm. it is that what she does is she like a i don't know much about macy i just heard her on your previous podcast is she a professional fisherman or (laughs) and are you a professional hunter like i well I don't know if I would even call, I don't know how to call myself a professional hunter. I, I, I'm I mean, a, do you get paid to do it? Like, is that, I mean, does she get paid to fish? Is she? I guess in the in the terms of professional fishing, if you're a professional fisherman, so you're either for major league fishing or bass masters. Gotcha. So she's not a tournament fisherman, but I she's think. She's just really good at it. She's just, she could be a tournament fisherman. She's not one, but that's not because she couldn't be, it's because she doesn't want to be. Now, right, right, right. Th- there is no professional duck hunting circuit, unfortunately. So, <laughs> if there was, you'd be a part of it. If I was, just say I'd have jerseys and we'd sell them with the last name Williams on the back. Okay, that's right. <laughs> hey, there, that's an idea, though. That's an idea. Uh, hey, duck hunting circuit. Let's go. That's right. Looking for sponsors, folks. That's right. They're out there. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, we're gonna start the first competition this year. We are mad at them. I'm just a girl that loves to duck hunt. And loves to turkey hunt more than she loves to do anything else. So it's awesome. Well, hey, you fooled me. I thought I was. I was like, I guess she's. I mean, I don't know how you. Because I, I was thinking, I was like, I don't know how you become like a professional duck hunter. But I was like, good on it, man. I was like, you know, find <laughs> what you love and and you know and get after it. Like, hey, gotcha. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Bamboozled yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Reveals his crab belt. There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> right, that's right. The crab belt buckle. That's right. <laughs> so yesterday, Luke was telling me how he received a belt buckle as a gift from a brand. And I was just very disappointed whenever the picture loaded and it wasn't a 3D crab. And I was also disappointed that it wasn't a crab. One of my best uh, 
antique store finds though was a super vintage like old brass uh maryland waterman's association belt buckle like i've actually it was a good gift because i actually i like collect i used to collect belt buckles a lot but like old weird eclectic nautical stuff you know like yeah i found this one on this antique store on like the lower eastern shore of maryland i was coming by and the, the maryland waterman's association used to be a lot, I guess, bigger when there was, you know, a lot more watermen like in the 70s. And I, I just thought it was super cool. But uh, hey, there's my arrowhead. It was an arrowhead. Remember the belt buckle? Yeah. Said, I guess I finally found my arrowhead. I just had to get it the hard way. <laughs> so my dad does dirt work. So growing up, he would come home with just handfuls of arrowheads he found at work. But mm. I have really bad eyes. I'm legally blind. So, he, so I, I never do. But I was in New Mexico this year. Turkey hunting as well. And mm-hmm. it was unbelievable. You would just find fragments of arrowheads everywhere. I didn't ever find a whole one, but the guy that gave us access to this ranch we were hunting, he is kind of an arrowhead expert. And he mm-hmm. was just getting handfuls of dirt and showing us different types of arrowheads, what materials they were, and what time era those were most frequently used. I mean, it was really, really cool. But That is super cool. I'm, I'm really into like early... Um early American like history, you know, I'm kind of a, I don't know. I, I do a lot of driving and working on stuff and whatever. So I listen to books, you know, so I just read one called uh, empire of the summer moon, which is highly, I highly recommend it. If anybody is into that, that's listening. Um, and that's all about, you know, early American Indians and settlers and all that stuff. But I, I don't know. I just think that's interesting and neat. So I did not find an arrowhead, a full arrowhead, but I did find you. I think you'll find this interesting. I found an old cowboy's knife. And it that was, is cool. It was a leather knife that was rusted up. But it was honestly in an immaculate condition because we, we did some research on it and we figured out what year it was from. And I don't remember the exact year, but it was the early 1800s. And because it had a little logo on it where it you could see what was engraved in the leather, but it was older than dirt. Literally, it was, yeah. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> right. older than dirt. It was really cool to see. And realize, you know, there was a cattle drive here at one point in time, and some old cowboy lost his knife, and two turkey hunters on the same path that these cowboys took yeah. hundreds of years ago. That's it's it's cool. I know. I think that is so crazy. Like if I could go back to any time, it would be to sail up the Chesapeake Bay for the very first time. Like that's just got to be, I mean, just amazing. Like just to see it pristine, untouched. The, de- the Northeast Arkansas Delta, all my friends that come from duck hunt from out of state, they say, well, there's nothing in Arkansas, nothing but rice fields. There's hardly any trees except you- on the Green Tree Reservoirs. The deforestation of Arkansas all occurred within the last 100 years. Yeah. So back whenever share crop farming was booming in the United States, Arkansas was not even a farming region at that point they it was across the mississippi river it was harder to get to harder to get Mm -hmm. farm equipment to so nobody really even put any thought into the fact that the soil is just as fertile on the west side of the mississippi river so they they didn't start the deforestation until like i said the last hundred years and, and i lost my grandmother last october she was 96 and so to be able to talk to somebody that saw that transform Right where we live is was unreal. She could tell you, you know, it was all woods at one point. Yeah, it it is nuts. Like the the timeline of like, uh, you know, America's is so short. Like my favorite YouTube video ever is called "Our Narrow Slice" by a channel called Vsauce, where they go through a timeline of the Custer's Last Stand and the moon landing were within one person's lifetime. Yeah. Like there was people that were born when. There was, you know, white men fighting American Plains Indians that also were alive when they landed on the moon. Like, how mind-boggling is that? I mean, that is just crazy. That is mind-boggling. I remember in high school, whenever we learned what year Albert Einstein actually died, he didn't die that long ago. Right, right. We, we think that, oh, this was just ancient times. And I'll, it really wasn't. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's really it's it's crazy to think about. But I wanted to ask you, are there any particular life lessons that you've learned as a waterman that you would like to share? Anything that 
you learned crabbing that you don't think you would have learned anywhere else? I think I learned a ton, to be honest. And I think a lot of the things I've learned crabbing and in business and whatever, uh, you can apply to a lot of the rest of your life. Just in terms of like, you know, I'm first generation waterman. You know, this is a family kind of business. So I'm kind of an outsider and, and whatever. And it's like, if you really just pick something and you are like relentlessly dedicated to that thing, burn the boats when you get there, you know, zero option of plan B. Don't even have a plan B. You can make it happen. That, yes, sir. that sounds super cheesy and corny, but no. seriously, you really apply yourself and you do not accept failure as an option at all you can pretty much do whatever you want and, and do not let anybody tell you you can't do it within reason. I mean, you know, you're out there committing felonies and whatever. <laughs> That's a little different. Put goldfish in sinks, that kind of stuff. But right. if you get out and give it 110% every day, it'll start to pay off eventually. I really do believe that. Absolutely. So you heard it here, not first. I'm sure you've heard it other places too because he's a very successful waterman. But you did hear it here. That Luke McFadden has that dog in him, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I get, I, I, you know what I say? I am just too dumb to quit, is what it is. Like, too dumb to quit. I, I love that. I'm serious, though, because you got to be a hard-headed son of a gun to get up and do the same thing and expect a different result every day. Right? Your commercial fishing is a tough, it's a tough industry, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you really do got to just get up and do something and expect a different result, you know, pretty much every day. I'm right. saying. And that sentiment relays in so many other parts of life. My dad, whenever I was doing the, the 60 days of duck season that I will be doing once again this year, because it's, it's difficult to do whenever you have school, it gets in the way and responsibilities and careers in life. So it is an impressive feat to do all the minor things. stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Whenever you're being a responsible and respectable citizen, it's really hard to hunt duck. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the side stuff. It's, it's not easy to do. Again, my dad would always tell me, Hey, you don't know if you don't go. And that's the yeah. truth. And public land duck hunting is it, on social media. It looks like it is just, rainbows and sunshine mm -hmm. i mean we we will sit in the rain we will break ice we'll get skunked we'll tear stuff up i prefer not to but it happens you know yeah. and, and you run out of luck a lot of times before you run into luck mm -hmm. but my dad would always tell me <laughs> we'd be scouting for ducks and he just putting the corn out, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, we hunt public land. Laying the yellow brick road. <laughs> <laughs> we hunt public land, so that that wouldn't fly. But no, he'd always just tell me one day, Maggie, the ducks are gonna show up, and baby girl, you're gonna be there waiting on her. That's right. And that's, can't kill him on the couch. You can't kill him on the couch, and that's the thing. You you can't meet Crabber on the couch either. That's right. You can't catch him from the couch. Yeah, I mean. That's part of the approach that I take to social media is like, and any kind of marketing for, you know, that I do basically for my product, you know, because I sell crab. I'm not trying to plug here, but. No plug, plug know, the crabs. The, the, the crabs that I catch, you can get delivered, already steamed anywhere in the country. Really? Um, yeah. So I ship them all over the country um, I'm, I'm every, every day. Buy your crabs tonight. I will, you guys can eat, you can eat them on the podcast. So. I, I will actually buy your crabs. I love to support local agriculture, and you're not local, and I don't even know if that's considered agriculture. But it's, it's close. I will support a hustling man. So I, I'd love to well, buy some crabs. I, I appreciate that. Everything about social media is like this tailored, perfect, this and that, and you know, success. And I'm like, no, man. Like I'm gonna show my. Like all the all the worst parts of it, you know. I'm human, right? And I'm I've failed, you know. Like I've only learned and gotten to where I am by royally screwing stuff up, getting in my own way, get you know, making decisions based on the wrong stuff. Just, I mean, royally screwing it up. And I mean, before any of the social media, this is I think my ninth year crabbing wow. on my own. I started when I was eighteen. I'm 27 now, and I eight or nine years. I think this is nine. I'm pretty sure. Congratulations. But, thank you. Um, but for the first like five years, I mean, it was absolute pure misery and I made no money. I worked, I would work all winter 
basically to have enough money to go crabbing again in the spring. Right. And I didn't know anything. And, you know, I, I mean, I ran over my own crab pots every day. I <laughs> kill, I, you know, I couldn't, I caught crabs and couldn't sell them. I didn't have market. I mean, I learned the hard way every single step of the way. I mean, if you can screw it up, I promise I've screwed it up. But, you know, I want people to know, like, dude, if you're out there hustling, man, so am I. And I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, and that's awesome. okay because I'm human and so are you. Right. Like, you know, it's, no, that's beautiful. And that's that's an awesome perspective because social media is so glamorized. And that's yeah. that's part of the reason you're so successful on social media. because you're, you're refreshing to watch as, as somebody that enjoys your content. You know, you show the bad days. I, you'll be diving under a boat almost every day trying to figure out what's wrong with it, what's stuck in your prop, what's going on. And it's it's not all sunshine and rainbows crabbing. And that's rarely sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> sticking your heels in the ground has made you be able to succeed and be a first generation crabber that that wasn't a part of the 99% that quits the first year or the second year or the third year or the fourth year or the fifth year. You know, you, you've made it this far and did, did so due to your hard work. So that's awesome. And I applaud you for being able to do that and also being able to do that successfully and document it on social media and turn that into a hustle as well. I mean, selling your crabs online, that's awesome. So I appreciate it. That yeah, kind of the way I see the you know the industry is 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 fickle, you Absolutely. know the crab industry, uh, especially just on its own. So the way I kind of see it is like you have to diversify. You know, you, with with crabs, you're at the mercy of nature, like farming. You're also at the mercy of a natural resource, which is an animal. With crabs, which is unpredictable, and then you also have regulation. You have to figure out a way to basically like in, in agriculture they kind of call it value added. You know what I mean? Right. Where like it's, it's almost like you sell a product twice, right? right? So it's like for me, I kind of happened into the social media thing by accident and then just saw it as a really good business opportunity to be able to sell my own crabs, move from selling wholesale crabs to selling all my own crabs directly to customer. You know, I it was never intended, <laughs> you know. So where where can people find you on social media, Luke? And where can people buy your crabs? Yeah, so, uh, you know, on TikTok, my username is at FV Southern Girl. Uh, and that's kind of, your, of a funny story, that's too. The name but of your boat, right? Yeah, it's the name of the boat. Um, and then, I'm, but if you search my name on TikTok, Luke McFadden, it'll come up. Uh, Instagram, it's Luke underscore McFad, M C F A D. Uh, and then Facebook, uh, I do have a page that's just my name. But my business page where I, you know, see all the crab pricing and all that kind of stuff, I also use my business page is Bodkin Point Seafood, B-O-D-K-I-N. Okay. Or you could look up FV Southern Girl. It's FV Southern Girl, Bodkin Point Seafood is the name on, on the Facebook page. Cool. Oh, and then YouTube. What am I thinking? I, I uh, just kind of started on YouTube, like really uh, trying to do a lot more stuff on YouTube in the past few months. Just this man has 275,000 subscribers on youtube so if you can call that just starting you, i'm pushing on that too you are a rising star in all aspects of social media as well as in the crabbing world so it's been it's <laughs> been see. really awesome to talk about crabbing with you and thank you so much for sharing your story and talking with me tonight luke it has been really really cool to get to know you yeah thank you so much for having me on and i'm honored to be your second guest Thank you all for listening as well. In honor of being number three on the Wilderness Charts, I wanted to mention, guys, we're having a giveaway that we're going to have three winners for, three prize packages. So you guys can win a turtle box and a t-shirt. That's one prize package. Our next prize package is a $100 Bass Pro Shops gift card and a 12-pack of Northern Flight decoys and a t-shirt. These are the Maggie Williams podcast t-shirts, by the way. And our, our third prize package is a getaway at Big Cypress Lodge at the Memphis Pyramid. we got a one-night stay, a pair of light boots, and a t-shirt. So you guys can go over to my Instagram. You need to tell me who you want to see on my podcast next. you got to download this episode, follow the Maggie Williams podcast, give me a five-star rating, and you can be one of the three people that wins that prize. So... Thank you guys so much for putting us at number three. That's a huge blessing. We'll be looking for that 
fourth uh, package giveaway, which is the crab belt buckle and the uh, the Williams duck hunting team jersey. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you, will you throw in a sign axe, please? <laughs> yes, for sure. I'll throw in a, a black rifle axe. <laughs> well, we will catch you guys on the next one. Signing out of the Maggie Williams podcast.